Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hang, uh, hanging out with us on this uh, MJ vs. LeBron edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Uh, really kind of most of the show. <laughs> that was on Get Up this morning, by the way. Uh, I'm stunned. This morning. Wait till uh, wait till we get to, I guess at this point it's already on. I guess it had been 9 central time. We're recording slightly after that. Uh, but undisputed i i bet they are just absolutely peaking this morning uh skip and as he calls his cohort uh les shannon sharp um as they argue over mj versus lebron uh but i i assume most people watch the Mi- michael jordan or the last dance documentary Seemed last like night damn re- here everybody was based on uh on my timeline well, well this couldn't have been absolute like this couldn't have fallen in line more perfectly with them well, I guess once they figured out they were able to move this up, I guess there really wasn't much to it. But you have no sports on. You have arguably one of the most, if not the most popular athlete of all time. And you have a 10-part series with never-before-seen footage. And again, no sports on television. So, like, I, I just, I don't know what else. If you enjoy sports, I don't know what else you would do besides watch this other than, you know, maybe record it, watch it later, whatever. Maybe you haven't gotten to it yet. I was uh, I was jaw dropped. Like my, I was the whole time. I don't really get amazed by a bunch of like about stuff that easily, but I had so many just like questions, thoughts, statements. I don't even know what to say. I just started like writing down stuff as it was happening because uh, I wasn't old enough. Obviously, like this this happened ninety seven, ninety eight. I would have been, I guess, two uh, going on three. You're only a couple years older than me. You may remember bits and pieces of it. I I doubt it. The very but, back end of his career, really. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember anything with Michael Jordan other than the Wizards, and I didn't even really understand what the, was going on then. But man, just uh, I don't even really know where to start with this thing. That was the quickest two hours of television ever. I looked up at ten o'clock at night, and I was like, "Wow, that was it." And I felt the same way after the first episode. I was like, "Damn, this is already halfway done for the night," because obviously yeah. aired them. Two two episodes each week, an hour long a piece. But it got seriously. It got to nine o'clock, and I was like, I feel like this thing just started. And I guess to some degree, on the ten part series, it did. But man, two hours flew by. I was hoping for at least two more. I mean, that was. Uh, I'm not even sure where to start with this. But one macro thought. Uh, I don't under like. Can you imagine in the modern day NBA if you had the greatest dynasty we'd ever seen, like greater than the Warriors doing what the Warriors did essentially twice. The GM didn't like the way the didn't like the coach. So he was like, "I'm just tearing this down." The GM would be fired before that thought even actually got out of his brain and or you know, yeah. through his brain and out of his mouth. He wouldn't have even been able to say it. Man, uh, just imagine winning that many championships and still to this day being hated in your city. It that it was that it, just the sheer mismanagement of the front office there, and then Scottie Pippen. And his contract, I know everybody, it, it wasn't like that was some unique thing. I, I have a feeling most people knew before the documentary how um, undervalued he was contractually with the team. But how about Jimmy Sexton? 
They, they didn't mention him by name, which is fascinating to me. I can't figure out why they didn't, but Jimmy Sexton was his agent when he signed that contract. Now, the show did mention that uh, he advised against it, but still, you should have done a little bit more to make sure your client doesn't sign a contract like that. Um, so those are uh, my two. It's just uh, how mismanaged the, the, all, the front office was there in Chicago and mind-blowing that you can win so much and hate winning as a general manager and then uh, Scotty Pippen and uh, his agent, who I have a feeling wouldn't let uh, his client sign a contract like that again. I mean, hell, he somehow got Ole Miss to not put any mitigating language in Matt Luke's way overpriced contract. So he's learned a little bit since then. But, man, those were the two things that that I thought the most. Yeah, it's just like I – like just the way the NBA has even changed in the last 20 years to where his players – like Michael Jordan was powerful back then, but man, like he, like they basically, I mean, he basically Jerry Krause, the Bulls general manager, which I think they did a good job of outlining like why it happened that he kind of always grew up having little man syndrome, wanted credit for it, and then he builds like one of the greatest dynasties, probably the greatest dynasty in sports ever, and then because he's not getting enough credit, he's constantly undermining the coach, and then after you know your third straight, your second straight, your second three peat, I'm trying, I guess I'm trying to say, you just absolutely we tear it down uh, because I mean, that would never fly today. I'm just trying to picture like I don't even know an accurate example here. Like I because it would just sound ridiculous coming out. I mean that would be like Rob Polinka with the Los Angeles Lakers as LeBron wins this year, next year, and the year after that with AD. And LeBron's on the back end of his career, but you know he probably has two two ish years left in the tank, like his 37, 38 season, and. He really, I guess, is attached to Frank Vogel, and they just tear it down. Like, Polinka's like, actually, no, we're going to make a change here. I don't care if you win 82 straight games, as <laughs> Krause put it. You're out of here. That would just never happen. Like, Polinka would be out on the street and be just shamed into disgrace for as soon as the report leaked out. Like, if there was any inkling that that was even a thought process, he would be fired. And the fact that this was just allowed to be carried out like, I wouldn't have even been old enough to remember it, but it kind of pisses me off as, like, a, I guess just as, like, someone who kind of appreciates sports history. Like, what would two, three more years of Jordan? I get a lot of those guys were on the back end, but you're telling me that team couldn't have competed in 98-99 and then 99-2000? I find that difficult to believe. I think they might have won another one. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the NBA was changing. Those guys were on their last leg. Whatever. But the fact that you don't even get to try and force the greatest athlete of all time into retirement is uh, is just mind-boggling <laughs> to me. I mean, I, I just – even with the six titles as a Chicago sports fan, I think that would be something that just kind of – like I would never be able to get past that. Like I would hate that guy even after all the good he brought to the city. Without that and then the time in baseball, six could have been ten. Yeah. I mean, what's what's – what is stopping him? Nothing. I mean, yeah. And, and the baseball, the, the, I wonder, I guess they won't touch on it because it's about the 98 season, but the circumstances around the baseball thing are... back before. Like, they, I, 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 was yeah. interested, I was about to ask you that. Do you think they'll touch on it at all? Because it, it is the 97-98 season, I get that, but they have kind of gone back and colored in the background. Well, Man, you think they'll touch on really it? Do you really do a 10-hour documentary on anything involving Michael Jordan and not talk about him quitting to play baseball. I mean, can you really do that? And the kind of undertones as to whether or not it was a gambling suspension. Yeah. It, 
he didn't, um, but what deny, I guess if you're, somebody's doing a documentary about you, you can like ask them not air certain things. And he said they, they got the full go. They could air whatever. Maybe they weren't going to touch it, but you can't do a documentary about Michael Jordan and not talk about him leaving to go play baseball and the weird circumstances around him leaving to go play baseball. You can't do it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I could. It just would be it would be documentary making malpractice. And the first two episodes were so good that can you envision them not touching it? I don't think so. You got eight more. So he wins three in a row, quits and goes, plays baseball, comes back for part of that weird 94-95 season and then wins three more after that. Like, what is stopping that? I get he only really missed a year, year and a half, whatever. And, like, no, I guess he missed a year and a half. What is stopping that between possibly coming seven or eight? I mean. Yeah, I, you could get up to ten. <laughs> and seriously see them getting up to ten. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's 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 mind-boggling to think about, it. and the fact that it's just kind of a what if now instead of like like just to, to do with the modern power, forget basketball, just any athlete has today. Like there is no way that I mean, help just take. I mean, baseball is a different sport, but it's probably honestly maybe the best example here. If Clayton Kershaw, I don't think he could be forced into retirement by some you know kind of GM with too big of an ego. I don't even know. I think Friedman is the GM. Any doesn't matter. Like any sport, any major athlete now couldn't be pushed into early retirement. Maybe a football player just because kind of when it goes, it goes, but not at quarterback. Like you couldn't really have anyone just pushed into early retirement nowadays just because the GM was kind of trying to blow things up. And this is like the you know, one of the greatest, maybe the most popular athlete of all time. That just absolutely blows my mind. I, I just I, I I couldn't get past that part, and I I didn't really I didn't know much about that. Like I didn't understand much about that at all, and why it ended so quickly and abruptly. Like to me, I, like that maybe is undersold in history because as someone who didn't grow up in that era, I feel like I should have heard about that. Maybe I'm just ignorant. I don't know, but I didn't know like it was that kind of cut and dry. I mean, he uh, literally looked at him before the season. He had his replace. He was grooming his replacement with Tim Floyd of all people, which is kind of weird. Uh, like bringing him around places before then, and then just after your second straight championship and you're going for the third, you don't want to bring him back, and then you say, I don't care if you win 82 straight, you're not coming back. Like, just wild. Yeah, and I don't think you're alone. I certainly didn't understand it to, to that degree, and based on my timeline as it was airing, I don't think many other people realized just how bad it was in the front office, except for people that like covered the NBA at the time um, what was it like Jackie McMullen was adding some context to it? So she obviously was aware of, of what happened. But generally speaking, most people weren't uh, keen on just how bad it was. Yeah. And then uh, I guess my second observation here as we kind of move to the next thing, uh, Scotty Pippen just seems kind of like a delightful human being. Yeah, I think that I think the underpaid stuff was a little overplayed. Um, he probably towards the end of that prime run, like the, the second part of this three-peat or whatever, he was definitely underpaid. But then he got paid uh, by, by other teams. standards. I yeah. Mean, yeah, by the Portland Trailblazers, still made a drastic amount of money. But he did choose the contract. He, it reminded me, honestly, the the first thing that popped into my head, and I'm not sure this is the greatest example, but it's the closest thing I could think of. Ozzy Albies for the Braves, who is kind of like Ronald Acuna's number two. Uh, yeah. sign that deal that's going to pay him like five million bucks a year over the next seven years. And it's 
simply a kind of what the type of player he is for the team, but he kind of just wanted long-term security. But when that came out, of course, everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? You're leaving all this money on the table. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, uh, it was a more long-term deal. And again, I mean, his they outlined his agent didn't want him to sign it, told him not to, probably shouldn't have let him, but at some point, you know, a man's got to make his own decision, and he signed it anyway. It's he was way undervalued in relation to his production paired to his payroll hit or his salary cap hit, which that was another mind-blowing thing. Jordan himself made more money than the salary cap allowed, which is just like NBA contracts. I just don't get it. We, we've talked about this a few times. I just don't understand how that was allowed to happen. Yeah. I, it's, like, it's, why, it's why do you have a salary cap if a team can pay one player more than the entire salary cap? Well, I mean, what's the point? I, you know, they have luxury taxes and all that crap, but like, how do you as a league have a salary cap and let that happen? I just don't understand what the point of it is. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, I, that's, I think some of this is why you don't see these, like, you, like they don't have long term contracts in the NBA now. Uh, and I think the NBA and the, as a league has benefited from it the most, whether it's the player movement thing or players kind of being more powerful and you're getting the super teams and all that, whether that's your cup of tea or not. I think this is partly the reason why you don't see it because it just kind of locks dudes in to uh, really just kind of crappy deals. And it just like it is kind of absurd, but just largely like his story was interesting to me. I knew he was a late bloomer that came from a small school in Arkansas, but the man started as a as a as a student manager and at central Arkansas. And then they just had a bunch of dudes uh, kind of fade out academically or flame out. And he gets a scholarship grows. What, what do you say? He grew like five, six inches, seven inches. Yeah. After his freshman or sophomore year. And then just becomes the number of what was he the fifth player taken in the draft? I mean, just number five overall. Like I, so you have Michael Jordan who, Granted, it was a pretty good college player. Not the greatest example. It was a really good college player, but a little bit of a late bloomer that people make overblow the whole not making the varsity team of the 10th grader, and that somehow turns into getting cut, even though he wasn't actually cut. We had Dennis Rodman, who was homeless for a while, and then you have Scottie Pippen, who started as a student manager on the co- on his co- small college basketball team at Central Arkansas, and they t- become you know kind of one of the greatest three of the Three people on one of the greatest teams of all time, maybe the greatest team of all time. It's just kind of insane. But, yeah, Pippen just seems kind of like a delightful human being to hang out with. Like, he seems very easygoing. Kind of reminds me of Clay Thompson. Like, a very good just – I mean, he. I didn't realize that's another thing is, like, he's probably the greatest number two of all time. Yeah. Um, And I don't think I fully realized that. I know I did. It actually reminded me of a story when I was in – this guy would remain nameless, but I was in eighth eighth grade and we were in like study hall or something. And we were doing like the stupid LeBron versus MJ thing. I think it had something to do with the dream team versus today's Olympic teams. And uh, this kid who in making his argument thought Scottie Pippen was white. And it was like, uh, no, like, like just the, the complete ignorance that I think our generation has on just how good he was and like who Scottie Pippen was is just amazing because he this kid knew nothing about him. And that's kind of what popped up in my head when I thought about that. But uh, I mean, it, it would take like it seems like it took that kind of personality too to kind of handle that storm and all of that. And, yeah, he did have his share of issues. The delaying the surgery not to screw up his summer is a power move. Yeah, for sure. Um Man, it's 
he was the glue that held that team together, too. You think after he left the first time to go play baseball, they didn't drop off after that year. So I think your point's a good one about, I mean, they maybe won the greatest. They 50 games. Yeah. I, and I that was win this, 50 games. The season was shorter, too, then, right? No, I think it was 82. I'm pretty sure they were, uh, I think they were a 50. 50- one fifty-two win team that year. That my the full first full year Michael was gone. So that would have been ninety-four. That would have been yeah. Nineteen ninety-four Chicago Bulls. It would be four and five, right? Not three and four, or would it be three and four? Because they won the title it in ninety-three, been, so it would be three and four. Yeah, ninety-three, ninety-four, fifty-five, and twenty-seven. So yeah, yeah, that's not not too shabby. Another just random note, how about, you know, when Jordan kind of had his coming out moment when they, of course, they got swept by the Celtics in 86, but how about them making the playoffs at 30 and 52? How the hell does that happen? Well, hell, that was, was a, uh, the East, uh, Western Conference was going down that road and the Eastern Conference was going down that road too this year. <laughs> um, maybe not yeah, that but bad, 30 but and 52, there's <laughs> no way a 30-win team would make the playoffs nowadays, even as bad as the Eastern Conference has oh. been. That was I thought that was I thought that was a typo. Like I had to look that up on my computer. I was like, they were not thirty and fifty-two. But oh, Rick, but the NBA was just so much more competitive back then. Yeah, that's a uh, that's brutal. You talk about top heavy, but uh, I got a couple of thoughts on so that. So much early, more competitive. Early thought, early part of MJ in that game as well. But first, I would remind you, uh, a dynasty that's not going to be broken up is LBs. It is, uh, it is here to serve you, University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. I didn't get around to seeing him this weekend. I actually went fishing uh, over the weekend, caught some crappie, and uh, kind of cleaned those and was going to eat them and then got sidetracked. Never mind, but go see him. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. They're open. They're here to serve you. It's beautiful weather outside. Thankfully, it didn't seem like the weather yesterday was as bad as maybe we originally thought it was going to be, was what I gathered. Um, but looks like some sunny days ahead. One of the best ways to social distance is to throw something on the grill. I've done it multiple times through this. Greg can help you out. They've got steaks, custom cuts, daily specials. If you want to go grab something to feed the whole family, he's got meatloaf, all kinds of other ready-made dishes for you to just pop in the oven or what have you and, uh, feed a large amount of people very quickly. But LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger, go see Greg. Uh, hopefully before long, he will be making us money on his picks again. But anyway, the uh, the early part of MJ was interesting to me, too, because like you hear about the Lakers Celtics battles of the 80s or whatever. And then you just had this kind of Michael Jordan kid like the chronological timeline of who takes over power in the NBA has always been choppy to me. And I never understood how it happened. And then seeing that Jordan game against the Celtics in 86, where it was kind of like LeBron's moment versus the Pistons, except, you know, Jordan got absolutely smoked. But you could tell like this 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 change of power was coming yeah. and then 63 points and Larry Bird saying that was God like that was that was one of my favorite parts of it yeah for sure um man it's hard to even pick what my favorite part is like that was one of yours um I think maybe the language is that kind of kind of silly I mean just seeing that on on ESPN of all things kind of cracked me up yeah, I mean, it's just unfiltered. I mean, like, they, I, and a lot of that was centered. I mean, you talk about the language and stuff. Yeah, he talked like that to everybody. But a lot of that stuff was, like, centered around, you know, kind of 
he and Pippen's collective disdain for Jerry Krause, the GM. I mean, yeah. they were just actively <laughs> making short jokes to him all the time. And then asking him, like, what kind of pills he took to stay that short. And, like, I just – I can't – I've never covered an NBA team, so I have no idea if that still happens today. But I'm going to guess not to that extent. Like, I'm guessing LeBron James is not just dunking on Rob Polinka all the time and making fun of the way he looks. But uh, – No, they're just, just very kind different. Kind of wild. And, it, and that's why the debates that are going to ring all day today are, are just – uh, so frustrating because they're so different. You can't really compare them. It, it's the same, like, like the people that argue, oh, it was just way better in the 90s. Like maybe you enjoyed it better, like watching aesthetically. That's that's fine. But if you're talking about like the teams in the 90s would beat the teams now, how do you base that? It's just, the game itself was just so different. The guys that were playing in 91, for example, didn't play college with a three-point line or high school with a three-point line. The the difference in the way the game was played then and now, you can't say one is better than the other. I'd argue that there are better athletes now just because of science and evolution that there is more athleticism and diversity of scoring in today's NBA, but that's a style thing. Uh, would Kevin Durant have been successful and as successful in 91? Probably not. But if somebody that... Uh, a four that had to guard Kevin Durant in 91 would have a really hard time today. It's just so very different to call one better than the other. It's just disingenuous. It's, uh, I, I think that one's better because I was 20 when I got to watch it then. So like it, it's near and dear to my heart. The styles are so different. The athletes are different. The way they learn to play the game is different. And it's the same thing with LeBron and Jordan. Like people are going to use this documentary to make a comparison between the two and how one's better than the other. And, oh, if, if LeBron played back then at six foot eight, 250 pounds, he, he wasn't physical enough. Like, are you shitting me? And it's the same thing with Jordan. Like, Jordan would have been great in today's game as well. They're different guys. They do different things. LeBron's the better shooter and passer. Jordan's probably better in the clutch, um, especially mid-range. He's excellent. LeBron's bigger. I mean, they're just different guys, and people are going to spend all day debating which one's better and which time is better. You can't say that. It's just so different, and so I'm not going to consume any of it today, just out of protest, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking at Skip Bayless' Twitter feed today, and he is already peaking. He better call a doctor because this thing is definitely lasting more than four hours for him. <laughs> he is all over the place. Uh, today, but it is going to be insufferable. Like, but that you're was watching actually a documentary, and you, the the title like who's watching this? Who sees this teaser? I'm glad last night settled the goat debate. <laughs> More undisputed now. How did a documentary settle anything? What are you talking about, Skip? Well, one, Skip knows his stick. We know his stick now, too. It's more just humorous, but you were kind of walking me into my next point. One of the things I wrote down last night, it, like when it was over. Like, throughout that entire 120-minute viewing experience, LeBron James did not enter my mind one time. I was just so – and maybe it's different because I didn't – like, I wasn't reliving this. I was really just kind of living it for the first time. And I was just kind of trying to soak up as much information as I could because I kept rewinding because I didn't want to miss anything. Like, even at, like, parts where I just zone out or had my computer up. But, like, LeBron James did not enter my mind one time during that documentary. I guess I was just so encapsulated by just Jordan and, like, I didn't – there was so much stuff I didn't know uh, that might be the case. But, yeah, Sports, sports Talk Radio is going to be insufferable. 
um, as a by byproduct of this. But yeah, LeBron did not enter my mind one time during that. I don't like you mentioned. I don't think it's comparable. I think Jordan right. does have the benefit though, of, particularly now in this like age of uh, you know, increased media attention, scrutiny, social media, all that. Without getting too preachy, people love to see other people fail um, almost more than they like to see them succeed. So. You know, Jordan not having the playoff flameouts really, like LeBron has had a couple at this point, you know, with losing to that really ragtag Mavs team or, you know, a couple, uh, I guess the first year or uh, the second year against the Spurs, that type of stuff. Like, that'll always be held against him, but he also drug a couple really crappy teams to the finals. I don't know. I'm not going down this road and getting this comparison, but Jordan does have the benefit of that. And then another thing that I was thinking about and I didn't understand going in was I heard Coward talking about this a couple of times where he was like, Jordan was just cool and you don't ever think of LeBron as cool because he's just so put together and calculated. But yeah. I kind of saw, and we'll probably continue to see this, I kind of saw what he's talking about. Like, the story, and this would just, this is not exclusive to LeBron, this would just never happen today Um in modern professional sports with the media coverage and social media, and you can't really do and get away with anything. But the story that Jeremy Roenick told about Jordan playing 18 holes of golf, get, get uh, Roenick taking two or three grand off of him, him, them going and filling up another cooler of Coors Light, playing another 36 holes, Jordan losing again, and then saying, all right, how about I go for whatever many points tonight? And then driving to a game 10 beers deep and going off for 45 or 50 points or whatever – it's just insane, and that would never happen these days. But those are the kind of like legendary, like Michael Jordan type stories. Like, I mean, LeBron would never drink ten beers on the day of a game, no matter what he was doing. And granted, you just can't do that nowadays. But what a wild story! One and two, I see what they're talking about. Where Jordan was just kind of flawed, but he was also just kind of cool. Yeah, he did have. See, LeBron. I don't think LeBron's cool. There's nothing about him that's cool to me. He's. I mean, excuse my language. He's kind of a tool. And that's okay. It, it it doesn't matter to me. He's a great player. I enjoy watching him play. But he he's not edgy. He's not cool. He tweets too much about wine. You know, he does, and it's great because it seems like he's a really good dad and his kids love him. But like the Taco Tuesday thing is not something you'd see Jordan doing because they're just different guys. LeBron's kind of lame, and that's okay because he's different. Jordan was was an alpha. He was a F you, I'm going to kick your ass all night, every night, I don't care kind of guy. And so, yeah, to your point, I'm basically agreeing with you in a very long and roundabout way. He's much cooler, cooler than LeBron. It's, it's easy to hate on LeBron James. He's kind of lame. And Jordan, uh, in spite of all his, his flaws, he's not lame. Yeah, and a part of that I think is coming out. You talk about LeBron being a, you know, it's kind of like a lovable tool. Like it's kind of a little bit of the A Rodness, except for LeBron gets it way more than A Rod did back uh, in yeah. his playing career. But I think it just comes from trying to be so put together and so calculated all the time, which LeBron definitely is calculated and he always tries to be kind of put together. But he's never had one. But I think that's what I think that is what uh, I think that's what you have to do to kind of withstand the modern day way like an athlete of his caliber is covered just because there's more access, more like, as I keep mentioning media, social media, all that. I think that's what you have to do to withstand the storm. Because like if a story had leaked out about LeBron James, you know, getting drunk on the day of a game playing golf and losing four or $5,000 and then going, putting up a bunch of points, I don't think it would be like the reaction would be favorable. Like some of the stuff that they got away with back then 
you couldn't get away with now. So I think some of the toolsiness or what what I don't even know if that's a word is just coming from him acting so put or trying to act so put together all the time and calculated. But I also think that's been necessary for him kind of navigating a right. 16-year career without any slip-ups at all. It's just kind of the way it has to be. But Yeah, seriously, the, there's a reason he's still – I mean, he was having an MVP caliber year. Maybe he wouldn't have won it, but um, I think at this point, he would have gotten my vote if I had one. Uh, and just with how he was playing, I, look, maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. But he was getting MVP votes regardless at his age in year 17 of his career – he he takes care of himself, and he's not anywhere close to being done. I mean, my God, his game has evolved over the last five years, and he is still adding new tools to his bag, man. It, his his passing, especially later this season, was so good, and he's so athletic, and his handles are much better. It, it's all because he's, as we're talking about, he's not going to the golf course and pounding 10 beers before he drops 40 that night. I'm sure he could do it. But he puts millions of dollars into his body a year on nutrition and health and wellness. He's going to be playing for longer than Jordan could because he's not done stuff like that. And to your point, you probably couldn't get away with that anymore. If you had LeBron James or Tom Brady or um, hell, Mike Trout or whoever the, the best players in each league are on the golf course on game day, their fans would revolt. Media would explode. What the hell are they doing out there? This is a, this is an embarrassment. He's not taking it seriously. Ah, da, 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 da. But yet, when Jordan did it last night, it was awesome. It's just it's funny how that works. Yeah, another point I had in, and I had written down the other night. I think someone else pointed this out on. I think some NBA draft guy pointed this out on Twitter. But just <laughs> the freaking Trailblazers drafting a center in Sam Bowie because they needed a center and just like, everything was so rigid back then. It was basically came down to, they didn't think Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler could play together because they were both technically shooting guards. So they took Sam Bowie as a center <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of Michael Jordan. And nowadays that's just a laughable thought because it's really just kind of positionless basketball, but man, just unbelievable. And what can you, I don't even know who the hell Sam Bowie is. I think he turned out to be a pretty fine NBA player. But can you imagine 55, 60-year-old Sam Bowie walking around? Like, I would have it on my business card that I got picked ahead of MJ. Sam Bowie, um, let's see. Had a pretty long career. Played uh, five years in Portland, four years in New Jersey, two years in L.A. He was uh, first-team all-rookie, and that's all of his NBA accolades. He averaged uh, 11 points per game and seven and a half rebounds per game. Man, what a draft this was. You can't really knock the Rockets because a center a center in the 1980s was basically like a quarterback in the modern day draft. Like if you don't have one, like you're perceived as sunk. So you can't really you can't really knock the Rockets for uh taking Akeem over Jordan. Uh but then you have Sam Bowie, 5th pick, Charles Barkley. 16th nice. pick, John Stockton. 10th pick, Leon Wood. This was a pretty good draft. There's a bunch of dudes who I have no idea who they are. There's even one fella who got picked 25th to the Pacers. His name is Devin Durant. That's unfortunate <laughs> for that guy. I have never heard of this guy, but uh, that that seems unfortunate. I bet Trying sometimes that, he gets Googled, though, on accident. Oh, 100%, uh, except he spells it with two R's, which I guess that saves him uh, a little bit. But that's a pretty solid draft. 
Um, it's always I always enjoy no matter the sport. Baseball doesn't really fly, but basketball and football. Going back and looking at some of the drafts, basketball in particular, because there's only a couple rounds. But uh, man, it's just kind of uh, crazy to go back and like look wh- who's drafted, where, and why. And then one of the things the NBA has that other other places don't have is like the players have so much leverage. Like I, the, with the Kobe thing, I was reading about Kobe a bunch after he died, and like he part of the reason he slipped all the way back to whatever he slipped to and was picked by Charlotte because there were like three or four places that Kobe didn't want to go, and he basically like told the teams like if you pick me, like I'm not either one, I'm not showing up to, I'm going to raise hell. Uh, part of it actually proved to be Calipari's undoing. With the with the uh, I guess New Jersey Nets at the time, but uh, like some of the things you see with that is like players having leverage where they want to go. So like some of the picks when you look back in history, and you're like, why the hell would they do that? Well, the story is not always that simple. But man, I can't imagine taking Sam Bowie over uh, Michael Jordan. But that's the uh, who, it's the was equivalent it? to that guy that had like seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of Apple stock and sold it sold it like twenty years ago. Yeah, that's <laughs> like that. Like, yeah, you got some money, but, well, what happened after that? Uh, and then that's the, uh, I don't know, I'm about to pull up the 03 draft just because I'm having fun doing this live. That's the Darko Milicic, Milicic whatever the hell his name is, draft. Uh, Darko was selected second by the Pistons over Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade were the, ne- <laughs> the next three picks after that. The 2003 NBA draft with LeBron, Darko, uh, Carmelo, Bosch, and Wade. I would say one of those things is not like the others, but just kind of <laughs> wild to watch. But yeah, I'm looking. Bit. I'm looking for. I'm glad ESPN did this. I'm looking forward to the uh, to the next month of this and kind of having this to look forward to on Sunday nights because talk. I really did two hours of television. Just absolutely flew by. Was there uh Was there really anything else that stuck out to you? Like, I mean, it, it reminded me somewhat of the modern day Warriors, right? Like. Like pretty much, one, yeah. Winning creates a ton of drama, and the Last Dance is not the perfect example. But the Last Dance, like, like they weren't blowing the whole thing up, but everyone knew going into last year that Kevin Durant was basically gone. I mean, it was kind of a foregone conclusion, although it wasn't. That was stemming from Durant, not inside the organization, and like all the drama and everything that they had to work through just to kind of get to that point and get to the finals again. And credit. Kawhi was awesome, but they would have won it if those dudes hadn't gotten hurt. But that type of thing, it kind of reminded me of that. But, man, winning, particularly in basketball over that long a stretch, just brings so much drama and so many problems. And that's why I think it's just so hard to do it. Like, I don't think you'll ever see anything past a three-peat and maybe not even any past back-to-back in the modern-day NBA. So what's a better run? And there's a reason I ask it, so we don't have to go like down this Skip Bayless road, but is it one three-peat when you don't make the finals before or after, or is it the Warriors' run of five consecutive finals winning three of them? Uh, it's t- if I mean, e- Draymond either- doesn't get suspended, and like, like to me, if Draymond doesn't get suspended in that 2016 finals, they might win four or five straight. Like Probably. it really might have been a four or five Pete. Like him getting suspended for that, and then allowing LeBron to come back in. Uh, obviously the Jordan Bulls run definitely better. But honestly, with the way the NBA is constructed now, what the Warriors did might have been more difficult in just withstanding the constant shitstorm. Because you talked about, I mean, the Scotty. It was interesting watching how Jordan 
is Scotty Pippen unhappiness in the trade request, which uh, Pippen openly just berating his GM in front of the team and wanting a trade and a new contract is kind of wild. I think that probably could happen today, but just see like it playing out in front of the whole team is kind of nuts. But the way he handled it and just not commenting on it seemed to kind of calm the storm a little bit. But it kind of reminded me of like they were always talking about rebuilding yet like after that and that you all the like they were on top of the basketball world and Jordan's getting questions at press conference about rebuilding, which kind of reminded me of how pissed off and frustrated Durant got through last year's run where they're dominating again. They're probably going to win another title. And all he gets asked about is his free agency. And then he finally went off on that ESPN reporter that wrote the book that just came out, Ethan Strauss. Uh, like he finally just lost his cool and blew up on him one day. Those two things kind of reminded me of one another. Like that was kind of what I thought of as Jordan's getting asked rebuilding questions while he's holding, you know, the, the trophy. Yeah. And the reason I asked that, because you mentioned how difficult it is to win something like that. I mean, if you look at the New England Patriots and what they did. So Bill Belichick won six Super Bowls, right? Three of them came in four years. It was 14 yeah. years before they won their or 10 years before they won their next one. And that was three in six years. So and it still feels like for our whole lifetime the Patriots were winning every year, even though that wasn't the case. Pretty much, yeah. And it's a, so to draw that comparison back to the Warriors, it took in football, it was the greatest quarterback and coach combination of all time to win six Super Bowls in what is quick math here. So they won their first one in 01 in 17 years. Six Super Bowls in 17 years. They're the greatest football dynasty of all time. In basketball, it's up to two. One of which had the greatest player, arguably, of all time, the greatest number two man of all time, one of the greatest coaches of all time. The other one has probably the best pure shooter to ever live in Steph Curry, one of the best pure shooters to ever live in Clay Thompson, and you added Kevin Durant into the mix, and you had a really good coach in Steve Kerr. It took that for them to win at that level. So to your point, long-winded way to say, you don't get this very often, and comparing the two is kind of silly, but that's a conversation maybe for later. That's what it takes, though, to win at that level. It takes two of the greatest pure shooters to ever live and then add Kevin Durant, who's seven feet tall and can do literally anything on the floor, except for, I guess, like body back down dudes. But otherwise, it, you can't guard him because he's so tall and long. He shoots over literally anybody. That's what it took to be this dominant in today's NBA, just like in 91 through 98, it took the greatest of all time, the greatest number two man of all time, an elite level center, even though he was a loose cannon, a Hall of Fame, one of the greatest coaches of all time for them to do it back then. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of wild. I remember Mark Jackson in like 2013 called Steph Curry and Clay the greatest shooting backcourt of all time when he was still the coach and he got laughed at. And uh, he's probably, I mean, there's probably no, really no debate. He was 100% right, but. Yeah, it's tough, but man, I really enjoyed that. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, our perspective is interesting just because we don't really remember any of it. So, like, almost like the MJ-LeBron debate is almost like, like, it's almost more palatable, I think, for older people. Because, like, I didn't see Jordan. Like, how in the hell would I know? But just, I don't know. Experiencing all of this kind of for the first time is uh, is pretty wild. And then I think they'll get into, like, Dennis Rodman and his whole rise and fall, which is interesting because Rodman had, like, you got 
more light shed on him during the Bad Boy Pistons 30 for 30. So he was kind of a part of like two kind of great pivotal runs in NBA yeah. history, which is kind of nuts. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm interested to see where they go and kind of what they dig into over the next eight episodes. Uh, I did. <laughs> I enjoyed Jordan wrote it in college. He writes a letter home to his mom. And it starts off, and you're thinking it's just this nice letter, like updating her his son or her son about what he's doing in college. And then at the end of it, he's like, "I am giving you my bank account number to add money into my bank account because I only have twenty something dollars or whatever the note said." It was just like your typical broke ass college student, but Jordan's asking it in the most like manipulative way possible, where he's like, "Here's what I'm doing, and here's what you're going to do," but. I don't know. That was a. Uh, is there anything really else that stuck out about that to you? I think that was all the notes I had written down. I'm sure there. Yeah. If I watched uh, it again, which I might do before radio, I bet I'd have ten more things. Yeah, I think we got it covered, though. I mean, for the most part, the the highlights anyway. Now, all right, let's debate who is better, Jordan or LeBron. <laughs> I, just, I got nothing but time, man. Let's go I, at it. I, I can't. Here, I let can't me give argue you the same tired it. talking points, the same reasons why I think one's better than the other, and then you give me the same reasons why you think the other one is better, and we'll start arguing. Let's do it. We should just print shirts that say six rings <laughs> and then have MJ versus LeBron in the back. Is that your only but argument? But it's interesting. It's the only argument I need, Sean. I mentioned LeBron James never really popping up. Oh, that's a great uh, – I just – that totally flew over my head. Bad teacher, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is a uh, underrated movie. That was on television the other night. The, I mentioned LeBron not ever popping into my head during this, but I wonder why Kobe is kind of pushed out of this conversation. I wonder if it's just because he was sandwiched in the middle because he did win five titles with the same team, with the same coach, and had a three-peat. But, like, you don't ever really talk about it. That well, was kind of one of the things not, I was wondering last night. Why is he not included in that? Maybe he's uh, – um, unfortunately, maybe the, the recent circumstances will uh, creep him back into the conversation. I, I guess maybe he's – his greatness has been uh, not inflated, but uh, more realized after all the memorials and stuff that you've seen recently. I, I don't know. Maybe that inserts him into the conversation because people were reminded of how great he was. I don't know. Um I truly don't understand why he's not, at least in the conversation. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, it's interesting. I, that's what I thought, because I was like, I don't know, same coach, you win five titles. I guess part of it was because, and again, I was really too young to remember, not remember, appreciate this and fully grasp what was happening. But, you know, it was kind of the argument, was it Kobe or Shaq through that three-peat? So I guess when you're not undisputedly the best player throughout that run, that probably dings him a little bit. But yeah, it's interesting but how he's just kind of sandwiched in the middle and not really ever in that conversation. He did have a tweet, though, like two years ago. Uh, <laughs> there's some MJ LeBron thing popping up, and he just kind of inserted himself in the conversation talking about, like, let's stop debating it. Let's just appreciate all three of us when it was clearly just an MJ versus LeBron debate. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And but that's what should be done. Um, that's exactly what should be. It's the same thing that Tom Brady said about uh, him and Belichick. It's the same principle anyway. So Brady went on Howard Stern and was asked about, you know, do you get mad when Bill gets all the credit? And Brady said, "Well, no, because do I think I would have been successful without him? Yes, I do. But I don't think um, I would have been as successful. And the same thing goes for him." It's a very similar principle here. It's 
I think if you flip-flop eras, they're both elite. Maybe one wins more titles, I don't know. But I think LeBron James still dominates in the 90s, and Michael Jordan still would have been dominant today. They're very different guys. They did different things well. Their personalities are different. They played in different eras. Comparing the two is is just is, is futile. It's so different, and I think they're both elite-level basketball players, the top two players in the history of the game. So how can you think that LeBron, with his size and athleticism, would not have gone down to 1992 and just lit the league on fire. Here's the thing, he would have. And how could you think that Jordan wouldn't come up to the NBA now and light the league on fire? He would have. So what are, we, what are people even debating here or getting angry about? It's so different. They're both so elite. It doesn't matter. I agree, but that's not going to stop the... Uh... From people going on the airwaves and spitting some fire today, I'm personally looking forward to that. Uh, I just don't get where that where the all. one I am comes from. To talking about I am looking forward to talking about this on the show today because we have two people and me and you who don't really remember this. You remember the tail end to where Borky, I mean, excuse me, Haydad and Richard lived through all of this. So I wonder, and granted, they're not like the biggest NBA fans, but I mean, hell, is Michael Jordan and the Bulls. I would just wonder... Like I'm curious to see how different their perspectives are than ours, just because they actually lived through both of it. And this was kind of like a rewatch for them, as opposed to uh, it's kind of seeing some of this for the first time. But uh, the last thing I had today, and I'm just going to spring this on you. I thought of a game this morning, but I didn't tell you about it because I'm uh, lazy and unprepared. This weekend would have been the Grove Bowl, Ole Miss versus Vanderbilt in baseball, if I'm not mistaken. What? Uh, let's create some fake headlines from the Grove Bowl. Like, what would have been the story coming out of the Grove Bowl this weekend? If, uh, you know, no COVID-19, we're all back to normal. Uh, I'm dreading the fact that I'm running back and forth from Swayze uh, to the Grove Bowl. Uh, but what would happen? What would be the headline be? It could be serious or facetious. It would have been something about quarterbacks. Um, it, probably like Kincaid Dent shines in Grove Bowl. Is he in the mix or something like that? I'm not saying he's not. It's just he, there's there's an obsession with that dude around here. And look, maybe he's great, but it's like, guys, I mean, how do you know? How do we know about any of these kids, honestly? He went to a fine high school. Uh, I'm going to one-up you here on the quarterbacks. Matt Corral, quote, this is the same offense I ran in high school. Boom. <laughs> Dynamite. Every single player on every single new system always says this is basically the same offense I ran in high school, and people take the bait every single time. I mean, I've been guilty of it before. I think I there's I ran that no less than three times as a student reporter. I think when Longo got hired, but every single one is this is basically the same offense I ran in high school. I basically have the whole playbook in. Uh, serious headline. I'm going to say still no quarterback clarity. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm going to say Corral takes step forward. Because would you have had Plumlee there in the spring game with Ole Miss playing Vanderbilt? I don't know. Uh, you know I don't think so. To be, you, do, okay, you don't think so? I don't think so. His role was kind of diminishing, but he is a baseball player, and would he miss part of a baseball game? Dude, not with uh, the way the team was playing. I mean, could you imagine? I know he didn't have a big role, but the way they were playing. I mean, you're talking like top five national seed type stuff on the line. And if you're Mike Bianco, 
and you have a guy with but, his speed. I know he wasn't didn't have a big role, but you're telling me that to go play in a scrimmage, you're taking away from me a replacement outfielder and probably my fastest guy. What if I need against Vanderbilt a, a guy on third to score on a tag, and it needs to be my fastest guy? And you're telling me he's going to go be uh, he's going to be across the street in a scrimmage? No, hell no. I've got a national championship to play for. I, I don't see that well, going any other way. This just popped in my head. I should have thought of this beforehand. I believe the baseball game was going to be a day game and the Grove Bowl was happening at night. So it could have been a one or the other thing. I'm going to see. They don't give me game times anymore on this baseball schedule because everything so just the, says The Grove Bowl was definitely going to be at night. And oh, if Ole Miss had any say whatsoever, the baseball game would have been during the day. 2.30. I found the time. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess maybe he plays in both, but it's if it would have been a you have to pick one, the answer is baseball. Yeah. He had, but even any, if he, he had if he's a there, role he, on that team. Not a big one, but there was one. So, I mean, if you're, I, I just don't see a coach who was going to be projecting a little bit, but the way they were playing, I mean, they were talking national championship. Like, that's. The, the kind of mindset that team had, and they were playing good enough to be in the conversation, you, you can't take players away from that team to go participate in a scrimmage. I agree. Uh, but what's interesting to me, the reason I chose the corral take step forward is the way this was playing out, and I'm completely projecting it. I could have been completely wrong. Granted, we'll never know. Thanks for nothing, Corona. But I just, I, like, to me, that we were setting up into the same narrative as last year. To where I think Corral, because he has the spring, probably takes a step forward. You're thinking he's the front runner for the job. Maybe he even wins it, and then you have Plumley breathing down his neck the first thing, the first time something goes wrong. Kind of like you had this year. It was a little on because you didn't know much about Plumley or the reps and all of that. But you got to game three, and people were clamoring to kind of see Plumley. I mean, I was getting questions about Plumley and Tisdale, you know, at halftime of the Arkansas game in game two that they won. To me, it seems like we were kind of headed down a similar path. Plumlee's not there for all of spring. Corral probably takes that time to take a bit of a step forward, probably has the lead. But Plumlee, because of his speed, Plum, because of his athleticism, kind of just breathing down his neck. And then maybe you enter the year with the same thing where Corral goes in against Baylor. And maybe if, if he wins the job, it's a short as hell leash. I don't know. You'd probably have someone also write a story about how good Tisdale looked as if you can tell a ton from a spring game. Yeah, I mean, I on the very limited time uh, that I've seen him, uh, I've seen him in person a little bit too. I think Tisdale looks more polished as a passer, but how does that translate? I mean, who knows? And who knows what Kiffin's looking for anymore? I mean, he was he conducted offenses with so many different quarterbacks in, in different ways. I mean, hell, he went to a national title with Blake Sims. I mean, he won another one with Jacob Coker. It, what he is able to do with his offense, I mean, he is very much not a uh, round peg, round hole, you have to do this or else kind of guy like Mike Leach is. Mike Leach is going to run his offense. He's not adapting shit to what he's got. What he's got is going to adapt to what he does. It, Kiffin's a, a little bit different, and I'm not saying either one's right or wrong. I know we have a, a handful of Mississippi State fans that listen to this. Um, it, it's just who they are. So I don't – it just – we don't know right now. I mean, is is Kiffin looking for a guy with better arm talent? If so, the answer is clearly Matt Corral will be the quarterback. 
as opposed to Plumlee, if he's looking for that first. But if he sees Plumlee's athleticism and thinks, you know what? Hell, Blake Sims was a running back. And I took him to a national title. So I can do it with this kid, too. So I'd rather have the best athlete out there than the best quarterback, and I'll figure it out. I mean, we don't know what he's thinking and how he's going to adapt his offense to this personnel. They're different guys, so I mean, we have to wait and see what he's looking for, I guess. that's a. I, mean, I wish we could give more answers, and I guess maybe I could speak in definitives, but I think that would come back to haunt me because I don't know what he's looking for. I know one is more talented throwing the football than the other, and that's Matt Corral. I know one of them's a better athlete than the other, and that's Plumlee. It just depends on what the coach wants. This would be the first spring game I covered since, like, maybe ever since I started covering football in 16 that was actually remotely fascinating, and it didn't happen. It got killed by a virus. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It would have been fascinating. But on, on for, for us on the radio show, it would have been fascinating for – my phone's going crazy again – uh, it would have been fascinating on the state side, too, because you have K.J. Costello, who wasn't going to be there for spring. So, like, how much do you gauge that off a of leech? What does the offense look like? Can their receivers kind of be competent? Like, it would have been fascinating stuff for all of us, and we're just robbed of it. Uh, the last thing I had a football side, not really a headline, but seeing a little bit of a sneak peek of the dynamic of the co-defensive coordinator thing between Partridge and uh, Durkin would have been interesting, kind of what that looks like, who they have playing where, kind of you get presumably the leader of your defense back to Mohamed Sonogo. Maybe you see a little bit of him. I actually admittedly am not 100% positive where he was or is in his rehab. Would he have done the spring game? I don't know. But like the dynamic between Durkin – because that is going to be a fascinating one. The code def- I've never covered co-defensive coordinators. I don't know what the role is going to be. Because at a certain point when when kind of, for the lack of a kid is hitting the fan, if they're ever struggling, it, I mean, this, the blame is not going to be placed on two shoulders. And someone's going to be the final decision maker. What does that look like? I'm kind of fascinated by that. So defensive coordinators would have been another highlight that I hit. And then... Is the offensive line going to stink again? They kind of, I mean, for all their problems last year, as bad as they looked against Memphis and at times against Arkansas, uh, Jack McNell Jr. and Luke did a pretty decent job of keeping that uh, keeping that unit, I guess, afloat and just kind of serviceable. Because you remember, you flash back to the first half of that Memphis game last year. It's like these dudes cannot block anyone. They literally Wait, make Big Nell's in Auburn 10. now. That completely flew under He's my the radar. offensive what, line coach at Auburn right now. He's a good offensive line coach. I, 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 I was impressed with the job he's done. Now, he inherited a pretty good situation when he got here, but he's a good coach. He's, a, he's done a pretty good job and really didn't get a ton of credit. He's also, he loved to remind you that he was, uh, he was actually the fourth head coach on staff. He's 2001 WAC Coach of the Year at La Tech, but they all, everyone wanted to talk about Rodriguez and, uh, and uh, McIntyre, but that would have been another area that would have been interesting. I think that's really about it. Quarterbacks, defensive coordinators, how that works, and the offensive line would have probably been everything I was looking forward to in a spring game. Baseball side, this is interesting because bear with me here. Uh, Rebels face crucial point in their season. I don't even know if this is before or after the Vanderbilt series, but bear with me here. As good as they were playing, they would have opened at home at LSU, and then they would have had a stretch of at AM, home against Arkansas, South Carolina home, 
at state. And they don't have a great history of playing recent history against yeah. Mississippi State. You're playing at state, you know. And that would have got been... a little bit of Yeah. I mean, you got a little bit of a breather the week before against South Carolina, but you're coming off a pretty rugged stretch. You just played at state and then now you're hosting the number five team in the country. You talk about a season like like if they were ever if this team this everything kind of came easy for this team through 18 games, but if they were ever kind of slumping or kind of pushed to the brink to where they needed to kind of uh, nut up and kind of turn things around, it may have been this stretch of the season. Because guess where they go the next week at Florida? Oh wow, yeah. So that would have been the season, uh, not the season. Well, that's that's really hyperbolic. That would have been. You would have found out just how good and tough these dudes were. That's right. Yes, and that would have given you a better indicator of what kind of team they would have been in the postseason and. Um, put themselves in really good or, or not so good position uh, to host because um, even though LSU generally is tough, I think they were playing better than LSU at the time. Arkansas was not off to a good start. Mississippi State, although they did just beat Texas Tech twice in the midweek, not playing well up until that point, and who knows what would have happened the weeks leading up. But South Carolina's a break. Arkansas wasn't playing very well, and LSU wasn't playing very well at the time either. So uh, to your point, they probably, I think, projecting, would have navigated that stretch pretty well and been in pretty decent position, but with those six games upcoming would have defined whether or not they're a national seed or whether they're fighting for a host or maybe outside looking in. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of the... I mean, we talked about in the preseason just kind of how difficult the schedule is, but if you're putting a three-week stretch... Oh, my... I didn't even finish this off. I'm sorry. So, talk about a murderer's row of a month. You ready for this? So at State, you host Vandy, at Florida, and then guess where they go the next week? Athens, Georgia. So that's wow, jeez. That's number seventeen <laughs> state in the rankings it held when the season got canceled. You host five, number five Vanderbilt at number one Florida at number two Georgia in back to back weeks. Holy cow! Yeah, that would have been something. See, that's the thing that was interesting to me about this team is they're flying high. They're seventeen and one. They're playing so well. But even the great, like even the best, if there's an undisputed best team in college baseball, like even the best team through a stretch like that would have kind of like that's a whole different level of competition for an entire month. Like I would have been, it would have been fascinating to see how they handle that. Maybe they get swept somewhere in there. How do they respond to that? Because. With the league being as good as it was supposed to be, letting things snowball and getting swept, you know, once, twice on the road and letting it turn into back to back bad weekends can really kind of kill you, I mean, can kill your entire standing. I mean, they were really just kind of in on the front end of this kind of, you know, teeth grinding stretch. And that would have, uh, that would have probably been the headline out of that weekend because I feel like a series win over Vanderbilt for them at home, you know, with what they had coming up the next two weeks and after a road trip at state, uh, you know, that would have been crucial. Because, I mean, you're on the road three out of four weeks and you're one home series sandwiched in between as Vanderbilt. Like, good luck. But <laughs> I don't know. I hate that we're not getting to watch it play out because, man, that yeah. would have been an absolutely fascinating stretch. It sucks. but We're not getting to see anything play out, man. I, I mean, I, I read a, uh, a story this weekend. It was a proposition from a guy at Yahoo about the NBA playing at Disneyland, which he makes great points. I'm going to try to get us to talk about it on the radio show today. Um, 
It's just exactly why they should do it there because they have, I mean, it's its own little bubble, right? It's basically a small city that's completely empty right now. Um, so the security would be easy. The hotel facilities are all on the property and they have an abundance of luxury rooms and dining facilities. And they have like 12 courts that are NBA ready and broadcast ready right now on the property. Like they could get it done. But I just I hate that that's the only thing that I'm getting excited about right now. And I know it's it's because this is a serious virus and we should all take it seriously. But I hate that instead of, man, really looking forward to seeing what this team can do over the next three weeks. We're going to find out how tough they are. Instead, it's wow. The NBA could finish their playoffs at Disney World. That would be great if they could pull off this monumental task that has logistical nightmares attached to it. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of become the norm, right? Like, it's weird. This is April. This is late April. And I didn't even realize this until I was kind of looking out where Ole Miss would have been on the schedule and all that. Like, we would have been coming off Grove Bowl weekend, you know, baseball in the heat of its toughest stretch of the season. And now it's just become so normal that, like, I couldn't get a tea time Saturday, so I went fishing. And, like, like that's how I enjoyed my Saturday. Like, you know, not really checking your phone, not looking at, like – not watching anything on television. It just, I mean, breaking news here. This this kind of sucks, but like it's weird how normal it's become because like everything's so relaxed. There's not a whole lot of stuff to do. When in reality, this kind of should be outside of football season the busiest time of the year for us. Yeah. Did you catch anything? Yeah, we caught a bunch of crappie. So we went crappie fishing. Nice. At a Where? buddy's. Uh, a buddy's. He has a. He's from here. He live. He works up in Memphis now. But his family has like a cabin uh, out, probably fifteen twenty minutes off of seven, and a small, uh, a decent sized pond. And we got like this tiny. We I don't know fishing terms, but we got this tiny little boat and some minnows and caught a bunch of crappie. I think we caught probably I don't know twenty something fish between like five or six of us, and uh, and then we were gonna fry them, but by the time we got done cleaning them, it was kind of late, so we just ordered food. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. Crappie fishing was fun. I'd never caught crappie before, but it was pretty easy, and uh, it was enjoyable. They're really good to eat, man. That's what I heard. I keep hearing that. Like, it's the best freshwater fish. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Tastes like chicken, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> No, it really kind of tastes like fish, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was lo- I'm looking forward to frying those up, but, like, Really, just point being, like it's it's weird, just because like we would that would never happen. I would never get be able to like get to go fishing, but at the same time, I would much rather be covering football and baseball and having shit on television and things to do and things to watch. And now it's just kind of the norm. Am I playing golf or am I going to go fishing this weekend or am I going to stare at a wall? Like <laughs> those are the three options, and it's uh, it's it's weird. Hopefully, it's coming to an end soon. But I think that's about all we had for today. That was a uh, pretty solid Monday show. I'm looking forward to the uh, to the next couple weeks. You never answered. Who's better, Jordan versus LeBron? Who's the real goat? I'm just going to take a hard stance on MJ, and you'll have to tune tune in. Uh, I'm, t- I'm. I mean, it would be the most perfect thing in this debate for me to take a stance on the guy I never saw play a game. So I'm going to go full team MJ here. And uh, I'll explain why on the radio show this afternoon. So please tune in. Sports Talk <laughs> Mississippi, three hours of MJ versus LeBron this afternoon. Yes, no need to sir. fill out a show format today. But uh, I will uh, remind you one more time, go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg's got fish over there. He's also got steaks, custom cut sausages, all kinds of great delicious things. It's grilling season. Greg's got you covered. 
grill packs, the ribeye sausage are one of the finer delicacies in life. The uh, the bacon wrap fillet, six ounce, eight ounce. Keith Carter and Lane Train Specials. He's got all kinds of stuff going on over there. They're open. No better time to support local businesses. Greg's great to the show. We really appreciate him sponsoring the show. Go see him. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Borky and I will be at it this afternoon on the radio. Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 p.m. And uh, we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.